Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start, if you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm Sam Moores, and with us today we have Matt Simonai. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? Very good, thanks. Um, can you tell the audience just kind of a little bit about who you are, what you do, and, and sort of why we're here? Yep. So obviously my name is Matt Simonai, and I front up Matt Simonai Racing. Um, we've just undertaken a, a little project to demonstrate how synthetic fuels can be used in sort of grassroots level motorsports. Mm. Um, we've been working with P1 Fuels from Germany and basically had three or four events this year where we've obviously uh, taken their fuel, dropped it in our race car, kind of competed in a few events and um, just trying to publicize the fact that these products are out there. And I think from a motorsport perspective, um, we need to start looking at a sort of more early adoption of, of these uh, fuels just to sort of future-proof motorsports and, uh, and and protect sort of like the racing heritage we have in this country. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we had a sort of busy year setting it up, um, getting, getting obviously hold of the products and working with uh, 750 Motor Club in our, our instance and a few other partners um, to just basically get, get this uh, sort of product out there a bit more and, and demonstrate to people what it can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's let's have a little bit of a dive in here. Um, can you, would you sort of call yourself a knowledgeable enthusiast around this subject or? Yeah, so I think it piqued my interest when Porsche mentioned they were looking down the synthetic route a few years back. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big petrol head. I, cars have been a part of my life for 15 15 odd years now um and i've raced at different club level events over the years um 
but obviously as we know there's legislation coming that's going to change how we uh, interact with the internal combustion engine so i've i've had a bit of a knowledge of the products for a while um and obviously dug a little bit more deeper into it in the last 12 months um, after making contact with Ben from P1 Fuels um, and having quite a few conversations with him about the products, how the industry is developing and how the products can be rolled out, not just in motorsports, but across the automotive industry as well. Um, and how a lot of the OEM manufacturers are all already on board with this. As you'll be aware, OEMs are always five to 10 years down the line already. So what we see them coming out with now, they've had in the pipeline for a significant amount of time. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them have, have jumped on board with this in the background um, because of obviously legislation changes. Yeah. And and let's 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 clarify some of the sort of terminology and the things. I know there's synthetic fuels, there's e-fuel, and then is that that's then broken down to a, a few different types, am I right? Is it We've got e-fuels, biofuels. They're not necessarily the same thing. And then a yeah, synthetic that's, that's fuels, correct. Is that right? So can you, you have, can you explain all the the differences of the different types? Yeah. So obviously, you have it. Um, the common term, what everyone knows, is e-fuels. That's sort of like the the, the PR tag, what a lot of the press use. Um, uh, an e-fuel is slightly different to a biosynthetic fuel. So an e-fuel is um, carbon captured from industry or carbon capture machines. So purely just extracted from the air or, or a, a byproduct of industry. That's obviously then mixed with hydrogen to make hydrocarbons and then obviously processed into the fuel. Whereas a biosynthetic fuel is used from waste feedstocks and obviously a, a sort of bio product to make methanols and ethanols. And then the process introduces the hydrogen into there. Um, the end products are pretty much the same um, and the end products are pretty much identical to the standard gasoline you get from uh, crude oil yeah. but the carbon what's in the product and is burnt is not new carbon it's, it's not being trapped in the ground for six million years it's being taken out of a product or uh, out of the atmosphere or out of uh, some waste feedstocks potentially six weeks six months ago so it's, it's carbon that's being dragged back out of the atmosphere and burned and put back in. So it makes the product circular. Um, there is slight differences with diesel. So this HVO, hydrogenated uh, vegetable oils, basically biodiesel, but like a, the second gen biodiesels. And then there is talk of e-diesels coming out within the next sort of 12 months. Hmm. I'm not too sure on that side of things because obviously we were focusing on, on, yeah. on petrol, but... Yeah, so that's the basic differences. They're, um, but the end products are kind of the same. The end products, yeah, pretty much look like petrol. And I think even under a microscope, they're basically they're the same, aren't they? So yeah, that allows you to drop them into a car, any car, any whatever, um, and run exactly the same. You don't need any modifications as long as it's the same run or whatever. Um, do you... I guess there's a couple of things there that are worth looking at. It, in terms of, from a sort of sustainability, environmental point of view, if you're pulling carbon out of the air, straight out of there, that's, I know that's, or, or that sort of thing, which I believe is what the Porsche plan is in Chile. Are they pulling carbon out of the air or are they pulling, are getting the carbon yeah. from, 
that, that's, that's correct. So they are using carbon capture and using full sustainable electricity. So obviously you've seen images of the factory. It's got the, the huge wind turbine there. So that's that's how you obviously keep the sort of carbon account as neutral as possible. Carbon capture uses a lot of power. So without having full renewables going in there, there is still yeah. some carbon legacy in there. So it's not a 100% product, but I, I believe the Porsche product is. It's just very difficult to make that on mass. Um, carbon capture is still obviously a new technique and a new technology. Whereas if you used carbon as a byproduct from industry, so for example, ammonia production creates a, a, a load of CO2 on, on the backside of that, you can scale up a lot easier because it's a lot more readily available in that form. But in theory, it's the same. You, you, you're not going to release that CO2 back into the atmosphere as a, as a waste product. You're going to recycle it and, and use it again to then create energy in, in the fuel. Um, so yeah, Porsche are doing it sort of like the purest way. I think Zero Petroleum, which is Paddy Lowe's company down in Bicester, yeah. they're, they're doing it that way as well, I believe. So they're doing 100% carbon capture. Um, and obviously then it's 100% carbon neutral as long as all the energy in the life cycle of the fuel is renewable. Yeah, because if you're, if you're pulling carbon off a, some industrial process, whatever it is, um, I guess... Yes, you're helping. And if you pulled off all the carbon of all of the production as part of your process, then it, and it's like a nice little sort of extra on the side, um, then I guess that's sort of completely fine. But if you're just enabling some of these industries to just that we need to change fundamentally, I'm not saying there's an easy solution for whatever it is, construction or something, um, then that's probably a little more in the the gray area it's it's like good but not as good yeah that that's it um and that was one of the the things in my mindset going forward with this is yes potentially there is some new carbon being created out of these sort of the waste products from the from these industries but that would have just been dumped into the atmosphere yeah. so it, it is giving it a second sort of life cycle um but yeah you are right in what you're saying the, the purest form would be carbon capture machine um, and and doing it that way. But then the biosynthetic side is technically a natural carbon capture machine because the plants are pulling the carbon out for growth. Yeah, The bits we don't use would normally just get mulched back into the ground and release that CO2 back into, into the atmosphere again. So again, yeah. it's just recycling that carbon before it just gets dumped in the atmosphere. But both of those products, uh, both of those processes, sorry, create a circular economy. So obviously it gets pulled out of the atmosphere and back in, pulled out of the atmosphere yeah. and back in. So if you, for example, could swap every internal combustion engine car to synthetic fuels overnight, the carbon emissions at the minute would be capped at that because you're just going to pull yeah. that. It'd never grow beyond what we've currently got. So if you then looked at forecasts for newer, um, sorry, increased ICE use, over the next 10 years, it's a net gain because we're not going to be putting any new carbon in there from crude oil. Right. Uh, you're pulling based. more out. Yeah, so you're going to cap it at wherever. It, it's all theoretical, obviously, because there's 1.6 yeah. billion internal combustion engine cars or vehicles. But you you would basically have a net gain because you're not going to be increasing that year on year. You're just going from to be tapping fuel side. From a from fuel, the fuel side. From a fuel side, yeah. Yes, from, from the fuel obviously side. Obviously, you've got to make the cars. 
yes yeah that's it but that's sort of like a different a different side of it yeah that is it is interesting i know when i've looked at it one of the things that's that's come up is well yes it seems like a good idea it seems like a good idea for things like enthusiast cars historic vehicles that we want to keep going which could be a car that's like new right now but in 20 years time um and racing and stuff like that that seems like a very good use but as you said with creating these fuels it requires a lot of energy like a lot of energy that for mass transport i I hear a lot of journalists going yeah 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 but we're just going to crack synthetic fuels and then we're just going to all drive on synthetic fuels and that will be the end do you think that that is an option no I don't I don't think it is. I think I think going forward it needs to be a part of the solution. So we need access to synthetic fuels, hydrogen, whether that's fuel cell or combustion, and yeah. EV. E- each of the technologies plays a part in this and each of them have pros and cons. Um and if you deploy them in certain ways, you can benefit more from the pros than the cons of each of the uh, technologies. So uh, my thought is EVs, EV is going to be brilliant for around like urban transport, city centers, et cetera, where you want clean air and yeah. less emissions. But you've got to factor in the carbon legacy of creating it. There's obviously a higher sort of carbon price tag of building an EV in comparison to an ICE vehicle. Plus, you've got all the other questionable points from the lithium mining and cobalt mining, et cetera. So, but there is a place for it. Slightly, and obviously slightly that's ignoring. The, the oil drilling problems but yeah 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 so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that bit as well so obviously with the ev stuff um that seems to have been the um re- sort of chosen path from a lot of governments yeah because on the face of it it is it's probably the best solution in terms of no tailpipe emissions the quiet the practical now obviously they've got decent range coming but on the back side of that, the production side is pretty bad. But again, yeah. like you said, with crude oil, you still have that issue with um, deep sea drilling, oil spillages, transporting yeah. it around in ships, etc. So there is pros and cons to the current sort of um, fuels we use. And then obviously there's hydrogen, which is probably the newest technology. So hydrogen fuel cell is uh, we're still really learning that that sort of technology. I know a lot of OEMs, Toyota mainly, have have been pushing down that way for a while and they are getting there. But EV and synthetic fuels have actually been around for hundreds of years. They're they're pre-Second World War technologies, but we just never had the necessity to use them. So they've sort of been ring-fenced to where they are now for a significant amount of time and they've never really developed. um, But obviously now is the time we're going to push them a bit more. But yeah, I I don't think any of the three technologies are silver bullet. Um, I think we do need to have an option available to everyone. Um, EVs are pretty expensive to buy, and a lot of people generally can't afford to go out and buy one themselves. I know most of the people I know who drive EVs are either company vehicles or they own a company and they bought it through there for the tax benefits. Um, Until people crack a a cheap EV, you're still going to want to go and buy your your small-capacity-engined ICE car yeah. um, and that's where the synthetic fuels can potentially make up that, that 
sort of carbon deficit there because you can at the what they call tank to wheel so putting the fuel in and burning it that's where you've got some some carbon okay. neutrality yeah i like that i've not heard that term but i, I like that um and then it, it sounds like also it, it all depends on it's it's the whole global infrastructure doesn't it that, that works with all of this stuff if the uk becomes we get to the point where we're 100 percent renewable energy now I, I don't think we'll ever get to 100% in pure solar, et cetera, because that's kind of impossible. But if you include nuclear, which we probably should have more of, um, then we will get to a point where we might have, and then who knows, more technology in the future, fusion, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. We might have lots and lots and lots and lots of cheap energy. Like If we've got loads of solar during the daytime, we actually don't need we could create a significant amount more than we need. And that could all just be pumped. The excess could just go into carbon ca- capturing, creating synthetic fuels to then be used elsewhere, et cetera. Yeah, you make a good point there. So the the beauty of renewables is obviously it's, it's free, abundant energy. But the negative of renewables is unless the sun is shining or the wind is blowing, it's not there. And when the sun is shining and the wind is blowing, you have to use it unless you put it in some battery stores. So battery stores is obviously a huge part of this uh, sort of solution. And that will be the driving force of it. Like I said, it's going to be near impossible to be on full renewables, especially in our country. Yeah, The wind doesn't always blow and the sun definitely doesn't always shine. So I think if we we went down that route and like I say, instead of just dumping that electricity into batteries, transferred it into synthetic fuels, carbon capture machines, hydrogen production, because again, that's that's quite a big yeah. draw on energy. It then enables the other two solutions to be deployed wider across the country. And if other countries followed suit, it, that's that's going to be a, a big driving force in the solution. It's again, it's, it's having all three options on the table yeah. and driving them from renewables, because it's no good me going out there and firing up a diesel generator to charge up a battery car, it, it <laughs> defeats the object, doesn't it? So I think we need it's to It's slightly of, more efficient. It's slightly yeah, more efficient. Yeah. Um, I think we just need to have a look at sort of broad scope and governments are sort of coming around to the ideas now, but previously it was renewables and battery, renewables and battery, and not actually yeah. deploying that energy into other technologies. Thankfully now, obviously, that's that's changing, but whether that's too late. Uh, there's a lot of scaremongering <laughs> going around at the minute, I think, of we've missed the boat on the uh, climate targets, et cetera, but the, the technologies just weren't ready. Yeah, and that that's an interesting sort of statement to make. It's, it's I'd say it's not very helpful to go, we've missed the boat because, well, what, are we going to get on another boat? Like, we, we don't have an option, so we have to just deal with whatever... Is gonna is gonna happen as a result of all this stuff. One of the things I've seen um, is it looks like the landscape of industry and where it is will change significantly based around if you if you've got industries that use a lot of power, they will end up moving to places that are basically like you can have pretty much free power. Like we've got loads of sun, you might as well just build your plants in the desert and you know. That's it. 
off you go. Happy days. Um, which will be quite interesting to see how that works in terms of land mass and population and industry and stuff. I think the UK is, we're quite dense, but these things should should move around. It's um, it's an, it's, 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 it is an interesting topic. I've not heard really, do you know the sort of volumes that we might be able to produce of this stuff versus what we currently use? Yes, I've, I've tried to work out the current usage and it's, it's, it's a significant amount more. Um, from my conversations with Ben at P1, they, they are building a second plant at the minute. So they've got a plant in Belgium. They, they're creating another demonstration plant in Germany. And the sort of next phase would be to build one in sort of northern Sahara. Again, to right. tap into all the renewable energies down there. Yeah. Um, so breaking back down to synthetics and how the sort of carbon is measured, you have uh, sort of three um, three sort of measurements. You have well to wheel, so creation of the product all the way through to burning it at the yeah. end, which is the whole life cycle of the product. You have well to tank, which is making it and getting it to the vehicles. And then you have tank to wheel. So most of the products now are carbon neutral tank to wheel. So the carbon coming out isn't new carbon. It's it's been pulled out of the yeah. atmosphere via whatever means. The other two aren't always 100% carbon neutral because of industrial processes not being able to tap into 100% renewable energy yeah. and the transportation of the products. Yeah, A lot of vehicles are still using diesel, et cetera. So they're not a million miles off. Uh, they're not a million miles off and i think the next phase and everyone's next development in the uh, in the production line and the life cycle line will bring that more towards 96 97 98 to 100 percent most of the products now are 80 plus percent life cycle but the bit we were focusing on is the, the sort of tank to wheel so the the end product yeah. the carbon coming out the tailpipe um but Again, just touching back on your point about industry moving around, the reason they're looking at putting it in the Sahara is you can capture all that sunlight, convert that energy into synthetic fuel, and we've got current infrastructure to ship that around the world. Now, yeah. we also touched on, obviously, the tankers moving crude oil. A lot of those are already on biodiesels, which, again, is, is reducing the carbon life cycle of the products. So to flip that, so the utopian dream is a huge solar farm in the Sahara and a load of cables going out to every country around the world because yeah. it's got enough energy there to sustain the entire planet. But current conductor technology isn't good enough. You'd lose yeah. so much power down the cables. It's just not practical to do that, hence why they've probably not attempted it yet. So using it to convert that energy into a synthetic fuel and changing the power into a different product and then changing it back into through a generator or whatever. Yeah. Still gets that power around the world in a carbon neutral, carbon neutral fashion. We just need to bridge the gap with the transport links, et cetera, um, to get it 100%. But there's a lot of other uses of the products, not just putting it in a racing car and going racing. Yeah. That again, if, if governments start to listen to this and take note, there'll be a significant more incentives for companies to 
create these plants what are required to to make these fuels whereas at the minute it, all the incentive is around creating batteries and and evs and and renewable uh, sort of technologies so yeah i think i think there is a there's a wider use for the products and a wider use for synthetic fuels it's it's just not sort of got that traction yet the focus at the minute yeah. is mobility and and how do we create more carbon neutral mobility going forward it's always been the the easy target hasn't it vehicles have always been sort of stigmatized on yeah that's where all the pollution is coming from but actually your gas central heating probably creates more co2 than most people's vehicles nowadays but nobody looks at that the um yeah and that that is slowly we we are so behind in the uk on, on that that particular one one that annoys me and it's not a either or situation in in london for example is you know we're pushing we've got all this ulets and stuff like that which i think i think overall is a good thing but it's savage like it's really brutal on a lot of people that don't have a choice um on the flip side the air pollution is pretty brutal on a lot of people that don't have a choice but ignoring the ulets point um we allow wood burning stoves we're burning fires yep. in cities, yep. which is something it's, it's actually a really high percentage of the air pollution. It's like 30%. Yeah. I burning wood is one of the worst ones. It's um, so bad for the atmosphere, burning wood. Hence why like, if you look at sort of less developed countries where they do have a lot of wood powered fire, etc., yeah. for industry, their air quality is horrendous. Yeah. Hence why we moved away from it hundreds of years ago it's very inefficient and it, and it does pollute a significant amount more than than other fossil fuels etc like surely surely if you're going to be doing like ULES, which is brutal on a lot of people you should ban wood fires done yeah it, it needs to be a broad scope doesn't it? it you can't just target the vehicles you've got to also look at everything within the ULES zone like yeah. say if you've got an ev but you've got a wood burning stove you're sort of yeah. contradicting you, 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 what you're doing to uh, try and reduce your uh, carbon footprint. So yeah, the ULES thing again. I know it's it's a very touchy subject. I'm not sure I agree with how it's deployed. I'm reading an article I'm yesterday. With you it's very, with that. it's very tax inefficient. So it costs more. I think it costs for every two pound. It costs every for every two pound they get is one pound in tax benefit to then try and reduce emissions through other projects. That may get better, but like you say, it was dropped on a lot of people who have really suffered in terms of having to change vehicles or potentially just get rid of the vehicle because they can't afford to go into an EV or a hydrogen fuel cell car. And it's yeah, it's a very touchy subject. The the ULES thing. We have one up here, so I live in Chesterfield and. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm obviously right next door to Sheffield and they've put a clean air zone charge in for um, commercial vehicles only. No, sorry, commercial vehicles, buses, taxis and motorhomes. Not sure why motorhomes got captured into there. Very few motorhomes in the city (laughs) centre. Yeah, Yeah, but in a city centre, I don't think it's quite a common area for a motorhome to go, but maybe that's how they did it. Um, yeah. And it's something ridiculous, like a, for for a truck to go in and make a delivery, it's a fifty pound charge. Oh, and wow. businesses can't afford to do that if they're getting daily deliveries. It's, it's fifty pound, and they have to 
push that onto the customers and then customers stop going there. So I don't think charging people to charging people doesn't clean up the air. It just moves money from one person to another. It, it's not the way to do it. It's we've got to incentivize people to use better public transport and things like that. And it doesn't seem that the money from these projects, so ULES, CAS, et cetera, does get dumped back into public transport. It seems to yeah. just disappear into the ether. It just disappears. Yeah, that's it. And nobody seems to see an end product from it. And you've probably seen yourself, especially like in the London stuff, there's a video of the guy going around with the air quality meter and he gets on the tube and it's like 100 times worse than a major high oh, street so, that's full of cars. So we, I did this. and I was not that person, but I did this. My... um. My wife is a marine biologist. Um, she does a bunch of research. And one day we had a pollution meter, like a proper, you know, yeah. bag type thing. Um, and w- the sort of, we did, you know, walking around the street near us, which like our street was fine. There wasn't not much traffic and it was sort of like, you know, let's say this graph, tiny, tiny one cent, one, two percent of the, of the graph walked onto a main busy street where there was buses and stuff. And it went to sort of, 20%, let's say. Started up my old 911 with no cats. That was pretty bad. Don't stand behind one of those, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, went on the tube and it went up to like 80%. It was three times higher than standing next to a diesel bus. And that is every single second you are on the tube. The, the level is consistently horrific. And I, I have not heard, they might be doing it, they might be looking at it. Maybe they don't, I don't know. I think it's a tricky situation what they are doing for the air quality on the tube because if you could improve the air quality on the tube that's going to make a way more of a difference to way more people than a minor reduction like if you did wood fires and the tube that would be a massive difference to london and realize you've got to do all of the things in one but you're, it's you're not right, getting talked about. It, 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 it's not, is it? And again, it's always been a case that the motor vehicles, the easiest target, and and, and drivers have always been exactly. It, it's always been the easiest target, and it's always been stigmatised, especially over the last sort of five to ten years. Yeah. Um, especially when scandals come out, like the emission scandal from VW, etc. It, it it makes it even easier for it to be a target then. So yeah, I, I don't think. Just taxing people to the to the nines to try and reduce air quality sorry trying to reduce reduce pollution and increase air quality is the solution when you're not looking at everything that contributes to the air quality in those areas i think it's yeah. just a cheap shot to get cash flow uh, as we all know the, the country is not in the best state and a lot of councils are struggling with funding and it's sort of like well have they sort of give them license to put another stealth tax on people to just balance the yeah. books of, of the councils. It, it's, it's a, it's a tricky subject to sort of talk about, but I don't think it's going to be the solution. I think incentivizing people to move on to synthetic fuels, hydrogen fuel cell EV is the way to do it. And we seem to have just dropped most of that. I know a lot of the EV incentives have gone now and, yeah. The big tax is creeping up on them now. So, again, it's still better than having a, an IC vehicle, but it's year on year. The big tax rises because obviously they've got to bring some revenue back from, from that. So, we need, yeah, it's... it's I, I think, uh, like, with all these things, like EVs, pushing people to buy EVs right now, saying to general public, you've got to buy an EV right now, 
Like, I've driven a lot. I've owned I own one. Like, I have reasonable experience of the cars. And some people will disagree with me and say they're perfectly fine now. They're great. In my view, they're not quite there. And it's not, they're good products, but I think in 10 years' time, we will be have significantly better products that will fit pretty pretty much do the job for everyone. But if you buy one now, a brand new car right now, all you're going to do is lose a lot of money over the next five years, unless you've got some tax benefits, etc. So getting people to buy them through companies, etc., you're pushing this progress. You're helping the companies develop the next car and the next, you know, Gen 2, Gen 3. And those are the ones that actually probably will be reasonably cheap, all the range you need. And then hopefully by then the charging infrastructure will be sorted for most people and will be okay. But you can't, we need to help people now. It's not sorted. People are not, you're seeing it in the States where they're trying to push people to buy EVs and basically everyone's going, nope. And it's happening now. I think as the incentives tail off, people will just not buy them. As a private individual, there's like, why would you buy? Why would you buy an EV? Really? Unless you really yeah. want to, and you've got a lot of money that you kind of want to spend. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, it's it's not just obviously, like you said, there's potentially you're going to lose a lot of money because if you've seen the sort of EV um, used market as as tanked lately, because a lot of Absolutely. a lot of company cars coming out of the three year leases now and getting dumped into the market. So um, it's a big gamble if you're using your own money to do that. And yeah, yeah that will get better. Obviously, as the technologies get better. But the um, on the other side of things is it's a, it's. I say a lifestyle change, but it's a completely different approach to using an EV. You've got to obviously remember charging isn't an instant thing, so you've got to factor all these bits in. And a lot of people aren't ready for that switch yet. And yeah. I think the fact that it's more of it's not it's being sort of forced onto the general public. As soon as you tell something they've got to do it, the heels will dig in because they won't yeah. want to do that. You've got to give people option to make their own decisions and make these changes. So if you put more and more options on the table, going back to the synthetic fuels, hydrogen combustion and hydrogen fuel cell, as well as EV, you give more people choice, they'll adopt it easier. But at the minute, because we sort of blinkered on everybody's got to have a battery EV after 2035, it's it's just not it's not going to work. People will just be like, mm, I'll just keep running this car for 20, 30 more years. We'll just put all the money into keeping it going. And yeah, newer cars are better, obviously, in terms of we're not talking about, like I've, as you said, you've got the old Porsche. I've got an old Alfa Romeo. And again, it's, it's got no cats or anything in it. I fire that up in the garage. It stinks very quickly yeah. in that garage. Um, we're not talking about those cars now. We're talking about very efficient internal combustion engines with GPF filters and cats and all this to, yeah. to catch a lot of this particulate. So they are in a lot better position. And if you want to get rid of the carbon emissions, put the synthetic fuel in. Yes, there's still a bit of tailpipe emissions there, but it's not new carbon. So you've got a net gain on on your overall emissions as a, as a country. Um, and again, the UK does 1%-ish of total global emissions. This is not really a problem for us to solve. It's a problem for us to push out to the world and say, right, you've all got to get on board with this quicker. Because if we, if we nicked it in the bud here and, and we became carbon neutral overnight and the UK had 0% emissions, 
the other 99% is still going to get us. We're not isolated yeah. from the rest of the world. So I think it's more, we don't need to be as hard on ourselves as, as we are. It, it seems every day the news is government aren't doing enough. This protest groups out there constantly causing havoc to try and obviously prove this point. But it's, it's, we, we contribute a tiny amount. And yes, we have to solve that. But we also need to go out to the world and say, right, what are you guys doing? Because this is what we're doing and you need to adopt that as well um, as we are all going to be in the same boat. Yeah, I think as a, as a developed country, I think we have a responsibility and we also have the skills to push the technology and showcase what can be done, but also what can be done in a profitable way. Like it's got, if we provide, if we can help create solutions that are better and profitable, then other people will adopt them. I don't think, I think you can't, you can't just say to everyone else, you've got to fix the issue. Like, I don't think that's not, that's not necessarily what you're saying. I'm with you on, we shouldn't just beat ourselves up. Um, but I think setting, I think setting targets is a really good idea. I, I'm not sure the, the hard line is a, great way of doing it what i would prefer and we've done a, a funny one around um car sales but i would prefer re- emissions from a manufacturer point of view have to reduce by four percent a year or five percent a year every year till the end of time and eventually that yeah. will go down to zero but you're pushing them to just do a little bit each time and just keep 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 doing it and they will they will get to yeah, the point where they're like marginal gains, isn't it? Like you say, instead of going to sort of a, a hard line of right from twenty thirty five onwards, it's nothing. Yeah, which is it's not it's not very far away, and it's not a lot of time for them to sort of get there. Yes, you are. You, you're right. The solution is probably more marginal gain of right. Reduce it by this. Reduce it by this. And you could that doesn't even have to be a linear graph. You could ramp it up because technology will get better as they start mastering yeah. this. To the point where it may scale up that the first few years you're dropping it by 4%, 5%, 6%, but then you might go 10, 20, 30, because to nip that last little bit in the bud is probably a bit easier once they've developed the technologies to do so. But yeah, you're right, putting a sort of a deadline on it, it, it encourages the manufacturers to potentially rush the technologies out there because they've got to, they've got to hit that deadline. And maybe then the people buying the products at that point are going to get lumbered with a product that over the next 10 years in its average lifespan isn't as good as it could have been. But if they waited two more years or three more years, the people buying the products then are going to have an EV what could last for 20 years and do 500 miles range and charge in five minutes. But the people who've already committed and put their money in are going to be, are going to be stuck, aren't they, in a, in a maybe not I think- best solution product. Time has shown that we can't just we can't just leave it up to uh, private industry to solve this because if you look at some of the private industries, possibly some members of the oil industry, it's been shown that synthetic fuels, for example, we've known that existed, but they've gone, nah, we don't want any of that. Um, or electric cars, it didn't work out for I think it was batteries was one of the reasons um, why it didn't work out. Whenever that was, that was like a hundred years ago. Um, so you can't, at some point you do have to do a hard line. And I think saying to like, if you've got a big manufacturer, they plan five years out, for example, et cetera, that sort of thing. 
you they need to know they need to know okay hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. You're going to have to do this. And they've now they're now sort of getting on board and we pretty much general transport is probably all going to be electric synthetic fuels is going to be part of it but it's as you say it's going to be part of the the transition period yeah. and helping clean up the overall if we if we can produce a bunch of synthetic fuel and sort of mix it into the current fuel system so just reduce the overall it's in there as 10% or whatever um there's something we haven't talked about is price Yeah. How much does it cost at the moment to buy some fuel? So currently in the UK to buy so the product I just we'll, we'll just build on this now. So the product I use um is P1 Eco 100 Pro. So that that's is a biofuel. Is that say well they use a bit of a blend so there's some carbon yeah. from industry some biosynthetic because again you can mix it all together it's and you can mix it yeah. with standard standard fuel as well. It, it, chemically at the end it's it's identical it's yeah yeah so the product is it's a 97 octane uh, en228 accredited fuel so it's it can legally be sold in this country in any fuel station currently um it's like I say it's 90 so it's equivalent of super unleaded that goes far around 5 pound 80 a liter at the minute okay but two years ago these products were more 10 pound a liter and the next 2 to 3 years they're forecasting it to be under 2 pound 2 euros a liter so it it's getting there really it, it'll only yeah it'll only get there with scale though obviously scale yeah. drives price of these things and a lot a lot of i say a lot a few of the crude oil manufacturers are now looking at it whether they're looking at it is a bit of a greenwash though they can keep doing the crude oil in yeah. background is a bit of a a question to be raised but the dedicated companies P1 Zero Hif who do the Porsche stuff Hif and Siemens uh, I think there's another company over in in America their products are sort of pure they've not got an interest in in fossil fuels uh, yeah. sort of P1's mantra is they're not trying to make fossil fuels green they're trying to replace fossil fuels with yeah. synthetic fuels um if if all these companies could scale the price would drop significantly but again they need some incentive to be able to do it because there's a lot of money invested in demand, plants yeah. yeah i think the demand's technically there because we burn at a price crude oil based yeah yeah so 
crude's probably only going to start getting more and more expensive as it starts to get crunch time on how much more we can retail as, as petrol, etc. Um, and maybe that's probably the next hard stop is 2050 no more crude oil based fuels. I don't know. Maybe that would then drive more of the uh, the big oil companies to start looking at this. I know I think Shell are looking at it as well. Aramco are looking at it. But they don't really need to at the minute because there's no end date for them, is there? You can potentially yeah. use crude oil forever until it runs out. There's no end. So maybe that's the next sort of hard stop or, or the next next goal is the vehicles are changing and now we need to nip it in the bud for everything else and and, and, and get rid of it that way. Um, but yeah, a lot of the companies are dedicated to it. They're not, they're not trying to make fossil fuels look green. They're trying to get rid of them and, and put a product in yeah. place that can and, and uh, what will fill the gap and fill the void. But yeah, price is the biggest elephant in the room with it. Um, when people speak to me around different race events, they sort of, they don't wince. But when you actually say to them, if you went out and bought the equivalent race fuel, you're paying the same amount of money for it. Because again, most race fuels start off with a synthetic base or they have a load of, load of bits put into them. And it's all small batch stuff. So you're paying the same amount. If if you made race fuel en masse, it would be, It'd be pence per liter. We just <laughs> yeah. we just don't do it because there's no requirement for it. Whereas with synthetics, there's potentially a market for it out there. Is is all the all the uh, ICE vehicles what are, what are currently on the roads? So yeah, price is the biggest downside of it at the minute. Um, but on the flip side, and it's a little little bit of a gain. The P1 product I use is E0. There's no ethanol in the end product. So actually, you're getting yeah. full fat fuel again, and you get a bit bit better fuel economy out of it. We are planning on doing a test over winter, like a back-to-back fuel test. Um, we've had a few incidents in the races this year, so we've not actually been able to measure out how much of a gain we've got out of it. Right. Um, Power-wise, it's 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 identical. Like I said, we don't notice anything in the drivability of it, but I've got a suspicion we're getting a better MPG out of it. Um, yeah. for that reason so yeah scale or drive price it just needs more incentive for the manufacturers of these products to sort of ramp ramp that up so Porsche are only interested in looking at after their own products with theirs Zero have looked mainly at sort of the aviation industry so jet fuels and plane fuels etc whereas P1 which would be a good are, one to I'm yeah, it, it well is, in favour of enforcing that of saying if you, if you want not a, not on general transport but on private jets, I think if you've got a private jet, you should have to run sustainable fuel it, as long as yeah. it exists. Like tough, yeah. so what if you have to spend another ten grand per flight? If you can afford it, you can afford it. If you can't, you can't. You don't fly your jet. Yeah, I think if you dig into synthetics quite a lot, most of the early adopters were aviation. Um, yeah. It's obviously quite easier to make aviation fuel than, than gasoline, petrol, whatever. And I think when was it the Glasgow Cup Forum? Everybody flew in on private jets or government yeah. jets, etc. And I do believe the UK government supplied everyone with synthetic aviation fuel to fly home on. Really? But it wasn't oh. really publicised. If you dig into it, you do find there's a bit of a sound bite of what? we gave yeah. them all the synthetic fuel to fly home on. Why are we not shouting about that? Like that's a that's yeah, a I huge didn't know deal. that. Yeah, because the biggest thing was why are all the world leaders flying in yeah. somewhere on all these jets? Well, they can use synthetic fuels and actually be carbon neutral in doing so. 
but we don't shout about it. And it's weird that we didn't. I don't I don't get why it wasn't front page news. Because it's yeah, a good news is... story about the climate, isn't it? And we don't see Cause... we're always negative about the climate. And that is one of that is one of the big sort of messages that come comes out of these COP events because I, I didn't realize they were every year and I didn't realize that pretty much everyone goes every year and you see the uh, the US like transport situation of I don't know how many planes they send 10 yep. they had something like yep. 300 cars something ridiculous yeah, like that yeah. doing their convoy up and then you're like sorry this is actually if this is every year and you all do this this is ridiculous Um but if they're, I, what's the situation? Because I think even if you're running um, like a sustainable carbon captured fuel, if you release it at 10,000 feet or whatever it is these planes fly at, isn't that significantly worse anyway? Do you that know? would be a question I don't have the answer for. Yeah. Um, I, I, you would assume I've, so because you're putting it up into the atmosphere. Um, but yeah, it's obviously I've not really looked into the aviation side of not. things. <laughs> yeah, better, I suppose if yeah. you if you put in carbon back up there, what you've pulled out of there, it's probably better. Um but yeah, it, it's a, it's an odd one. Reading an article yesterday and it was talking about obviously missing the boat on the 1.5 degree target for for um, yeah. climate change. And I read I read a statement in there which sort of threw me back is the fact that we've got less aerosol pollution in the atmosphere now is going to increase the temperature because there's less things in the atmosphere to block the sunlight out. So I'm sort of like saying, well, we're cleaning up the air and we're still going to end up being hit with this increase in, in temperature. So I'm now like, what do we do? And I know there's obviously cloud seeding, et cetera, which is like going to be another big technology moving forward to sort of stop this. But yeah, it threw me back that the fact that we're cleaning up the atmosphere and getting rid of all these uh, CFCs, et cetera, and other aerosol pollutants is actually contributing to the increase in temperature. It's a bit like, well, how do you beat this? How Because if we're cleaning it up and it's still going to make it worse, what what do we do as, as a general populace? What what do we then do? Um, and again, it's, it's, it's probably questions to ask moving forward and, and again, looking at the overall picture, not just how the vehicles and, and industry, yeah. et cetera, uh, apply to it. But yeah, yeah, being being greener is sort of adding to the problem. Um, and I don't, I, I don't think that problems. that statement is probably not correct. <laughs> like, I know I, yeah. I can hear what you're saying, but saying being greener is not the problem. It's, no, no, obviously not. We've released all this stuff, which is those stuff, those are really bad for humans all of those yeah. gases, like really bad. Um, so removing those, good thing. Um, obviously all the pollution, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. It, it's, it's probably a, an it's issue, issue what they've not, it's probably the, the, the fact that the air is cleaner now and then it's obviously we're getting more sunlight, it's probably not something they factored in because it, it used to be so bad. Obviously you've seen yeah. sort of industrial revolution, England, it was just smog and very yeah. little sunlight. Like I say, I'm from Sheffield and it's driven off steel industry from back in the day. And my dad used to tell me stories about if you looked across the Don Valley, which is where all the steelworks were, because it's where the main river through mm. the city is. If you were up on any of the hills, you couldn't see anything down there. It was like cloud inversion, but it was just smog from the industry. Wow. So they had it had its like own weather systems under there, etc. And it's not something we'd 
I imagine back then when we were looking at cleaning up the air, we never thought we'd get to a point where ozone would be in a better state than it used to be. Yeah. When I was a kid, it was all hauling the ozone layer is going to going to be the biggest problem. And then that shrunk and shrunk and shrunk as, as we've moved on because we've removed aerosol pollutants. So maybe it was, I don't want to say hindsight because these are a lot smarter people than me, but maybe it's something they didn't really factor in in terms of having a cleaner atmosphere is going to actually do like more sunlight in. And yeah, that's another thing we need to sort of look as a, as a wider solution, but we're sort of digressing on it. Yeah. Massively, massively. Yeah. But no, it's, um, I think it's, it's an interesting one. I, I, I hear a lot of journalists because they're the people writing articles or, or talking about stuff going, well, this is going to be the solution. There's a lot of EV haters out there. And I, I sort of, I, I like to rebut everyone I hear that's like a massive, you know, they're just, I hear carte blanche statements of just, yeah, but cobalt. You know, okay, cool. But yes, there are problems. They need to be solved. There are also problems with continually digging up oil. Like it's it's there's no, it's not just a one or the other. No one's you don't have to attack each other over the whole thing. Um, and synthetic fuels does get branded as often as like a yeah, but this will be the solution and it's going to solve everything. It's going to be part of the solution. Um, yeah, that, hopefully that's helping right. and probably push towards the stuff that's really hard to electrify. Like yeah. short journeys, there's no reason anyone should be using fuel for short journeys in town or whatever. Like it doesn't make sense. Um, as some sort of electric situation works really well for that. But if you're a ship, you can't electrify that. Yeah, that, that's, Could you use that's where the wind. <laughs> well, I think they have, hasn't there's a there's they currently a, a tanker now with with sails to. I don't think it fully runs on the sails, but I think it just helps it along. And, and yeah, and I think it makes. I can't remember which company, but I did read about this recently that they started fitting sails again, and it you know it knocks twenty percent off it, your emissions or something. It's crazy, isn't it? Because again, going back to the motor vehicle. EV and synthetic fuels being around for hundreds of years, so have sales for boats. We don't need to do anything new. The technology has been there for hundreds of years. We need to just deploy it again because actually it's pretty efficient, um, especially in certain areas of the oceans. It's a, you'll know more than me, obviously, with your, with your partner. There's some significant winds around there to get these boats around to different parts yeah. of the world, which are then, like I say, this potential to just wind back these huge, huge engines they have and the huge consumption of diesel they use, you'd be able to wind that right back. And yeah, you're probably not going to get 100% wind power, but marginal gains, it's all going to add up to the bigger picture. Um, so I, I wrote an article recently which went out on the Driven Chat website, um, and it was sort of a, a bit of a summary of, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an EV hater. I've got a few friends who've got them. And I looked at one a few years ago, but it just wasn't fit for purpose for me at the time. Yeah. But I have been skeptical around how it was always branded as this is a solution, it's a silver bullet uh, as, a, as a one sort of option. So the article sort of sums up the plus and minus of ICE and EV. Uh, and it's like you said, the cobalt, yep. The, the humanitarian problem from that needs to be sort of solved quickly. And I think now that more people are aware of this happening, there's potentially scope for that to happen. 
whether it will or not, because again, industry drives these things. Well, it, it is a question to ask. I read quite an interesting book uh, called Vault Rush that talks about a lot of these things, and I've forgotten most of it. But um, uh, just sort of looking at some of these issues, and it, it sounds like as companies are having to become more transparent, um, and certain manufacturers are significantly better. I think like Volvo and Polestar are doing a reasonably good amount at sort of trying to showcase where everything comes from because a lot of people yeah. like you say are avoiding they're just like and we've got an electric battery and you go yeah but it was mined in <laughs> in yeah, the congo it. it then went to china and then processed and then shipped to the uk and then put in a thing you're like there's a lot yeah. of extra carbon on that that didn't need to I, be there i think that's it isn't it there's, there's a lot more scrutiny around it because Again, it's easy for me to say a synthetic fuel is carbon neutral at the tailpipe, but actually when you wind back in the life cycle, yep, there is bits where you, you're not on fully renewable energy, so carbon is introduced into the process. Mm. And, and I think that's where most of this needs to be looked at. Is It's not at the end product, because the end products are the end products. It's, it's the life cycle of creating it. And like you said, the battery situation earlier, earlier on in, in EV sort of development Shipping the product all the way around the world instead of keeping it as local as possible adds a load of carbon in there. And I think I can read something crazy like the average EV takes 100,000 miles to pay back its carbon. This, this but has been that, I'm not taking that as a truth because I think it's less than that depending on manufacturing. It's significantly less. Um, yeah. I think the report that everyone talked about was the Volvo one when they had it was like an XC40 and whatever the electric one is um yeah. and they did they did the comparison and i think they said on a bad grid maybe somewhere like certain parts of america or whatever um yep. it's it was eighty thousand miles and then the electric car was better on a good grid um it was a lot less i i think now one thing they didn't factor into that was um uh, fuel so they didn't factor in production of fuel yep for the fuel car that's quite a big yep. thing and they yeah, also again, did like worst case scenarios of everything um, yeah. so if you're on a good grid or even a reasonably good grid and you're choosing to charge up on renewable or whatever I think it's like two years or it's like 10 to 20,000 miles yeah, that that's it, isn't it? It's sort of saying, yes, it's got X amount of kilograms of carbon in there, what you need to pay back, how quickly you're paying that back. If you're on a really crappy grid somewhere in the wilderness and it's a diesel generator, it's going to take yeah. a significantly longer time to do that. So, yeah, there is there is that. I think the problem is over here still, even though we're in quite a developed country, and it's same across Europe, we're still struggling to get off fossil fuels, aren't we? Um, oh, it's, and, and it's changed significantly over the last, like, five years. Yeah. Um, but then I think if you look back to uh, earlier this year, possibly last year, when we had a load of crappy weather, we were still firing up gas and coal fire sta power stations to get that power back in. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. where the government needs to start saying, like, look, battery stores need to be ramped up in the country. We need to hammer it everywhere. So 
in my profession, so I, I design fire, fire safety systems, so mm-hmm. alarms and um, suppression systems, etc. And I did a project for a company, well, I can't remember the name of now, about six years ago. And it was to put some fire systems in and around some battery stores. Mm-hmm. And the company had won a contract to put something like 140 of these around the country. Yeah. And I said, go on then, give me, give me the figures of it. And it was sort of like, I think it was five 40-foot shipping containers full of batteries and then five inverters. Um, and it was sort of, it's just just north of Newcastle, so it picked up all the solar, all the wind feeding back into the grid. Yeah. Um, they sort of said, like, yep, yeah, if, we, if we have all these batteries fully charged and the grid asks us for that, it was something like three hours. And it was like a tiny amount of power in there, but it was a, it was a significant site. It was huge, obviously. Imagine a four yeah. foot container full of batteries. And he's like, oh yeah, it's so many, so many, like forty thousand kilovolts per unit or something. And he says we'd burn through the power in here so quick. We need more of them. And he says we've got a contract to do one hundred and forty sites, but we need fourteen hundred sites or forty thousand sites. Now that'll get better because they were probably using lead acid type batteries or something because it was quite early on uh, before lithium was being scaled up now lithium i think lithium phosphorus batteries are the next ones now that the battery technologies are getting better that's probably going to reduce but it's very quiet in this country i know it's probably going on in the background but again the government should be shouting that out like this is all the battery storage projects we've got going this is all the renewable projects we've got going but we don't seem to be talking about that we seem to be talking about Go, go the interesting ones um, on that, and then I think we should probably start wrapping it up, is um, is there is different types of battery storage that are not batteries that we think of as batteries. Whether it's heating up a bunch of rocks and then using the heat back again to yep. steam, etc., or pumping water up a hill, essentially, you know, kind of reversing a dam. Um, yep. All those sorts of things, actually, I, f- I think they're really interesting because you're like, yeah, there's a lot of energy stored and you're not requiring just straight batteries. Um, and then we'll, we will have in not that long um, a bunch of EVs plugged in at home that could possibly pull power back out to just sort of, we just want to reduce those little, the peaks. It's the peaks and troughs, isn't it? Yeah, you need to smooth the consumption line as best you can so that you are not... Turning on a- that coal plant. Yeah, you're not you're not in a negative position when demand increases supply, yeah. and you then have to fall back on the older technologies. And yeah, I've heard I've heard the thing with the EVs using them as a local battery stores for your house, etc. It's quite it's quite interesting. Now, whether that will shorten the lifespan of the batteries, who who knows? Uh, but again, I don't think it does something, much. A power no, draw think, is so low. Yeah, I think that's something for the again manufacturers to potentially put in as a selling point. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna give you this EV. It's gonna get you X amount of miles range, and also it'll run your house overnight. If you've got a solar array on your roof, etc., what charges it? Yeah. And instead of feeding it back into the grid, put it into your local battery store, i.e., your EV, and and then that will that will power your your property for the the night or the week or whatever. Yeah. So again, like you said, there's, there's there's other options out there, not just a case of filling shipping containers with with batteries. And again, maybe it's a case of we have all these old refineries that have got all these oil tanks in there, filling them with synthetic fuels and, yeah. and tapping into that as, a, as an option to uh, to generate power 
even if it's on a local level, backup generators for places and hospitals and stuff, we just we we just very blinkered at in, at the minute on the negativity surrounding the internal combustion engine. I, f- I feel, um, whereas actually the technology is what can increase or make the, those systems greener have loads of wider uses for society. Um, we just don't seem to be looking at I it. Think, or if we are, it's very I think- quiet. Overall, that's it. I think these things are being looked at. I've heard about all sorts of sort of interesting projects, whether it's like, I think there's a massive um, solar farm in between here and like Denmark and all of that. Um, and I, I believe that was going to have a pipeline shipping. It was either going to be like hydrogen or it could be synthetic fuel or whatever back to, it will provide power, but it will also create other stuff at the same time when no one wants it um yeah and that could be a source yeah i and, think i've hey. heard that that we've we're running some some cables over to uh to cross the north sea or whatever to tap into uh, and there's danish power and there's power cables to africa yeah but i think this is a thing as well going going back to the original point about how uh synthetics can have a, a sort of wider scope for society It'll allow a lot of countries to have a lot more energy independence. Instead of having a, a, a cable back to um, Africa or across from Denmark, we could just stick a big wind farm up at the top top of Scotland, tap all the energy up. We've got CO2 from industry, waste feedstocks, carbon capture machines. We can Wave transfer machines, that energy that. into the, the liquid form and then transport that back around the country. And we're not then relying on crude oil from... Yeah. Eastern Europe and Russia and wherever it's, else we're tapping it in. It's going to change the power dynamics of the world massively, it's like, significantly, like insanely, yeah. significantly, um, and and it'll allow a lot of smaller countries to uh, sort of get off the crude oil teat as such. Yeah. Um, and you're not going to have to rely on Russia, Middle East, China, America. I think Latin America, Venezuela make a lot of crude as well. You're not going to have to rely on those those countries. And now, not to say we're not going to need crude for products. Obviously, it goes into a lot of plastics, yeah. etc. But there's potentials to probably use more recyclable plastics as well in future. And we pull thousands of tons out of the sea every every year. We need to start looking at again bringing that back into uh, uh, into production because yeah. it's a no brainer. We've put it in there. We've basically given ourselves unlimited amounts of free plastic to to, was- to tap back up. Something I think it was Apple was saying in uh, an amount of time they were going to be using some crazy amount of recycled materials in their phones because um, I know with all the metals and stuff there's a lot of technology now where you can basically pull out the same like you literally yeah. get you put in your copper you melt down your phone you put it through some funky stuff and you have the same 100% as you started with and you can just use yeah. it again which is super cool. But I think before we just sort of dive off into all of these <laughs> random yeah. avenues, uh, we should start start wrapping this up. Um, but yeah, I feel like we've, we've done a good covering of synthetic fuels and wider technologies. Um, so I normally wrap these up with five questions. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? weirdly it's probably a really mundane one so i used to be a service engineer and obviously go out to call outs etc and i think in in mm. a single night i had sort of four or five call outs and i went from sheffield to kendall to newcastle to bolton to salford 
to Blackpool to home. And it was like an epic road trip across the country on my own yeah. to go and fix some faulty equipment. But the sights, what I took in, it was like, we were, I went across the top at 66. So we're like a stone throw from parts of Adrian's Wall, then the Angel of the North, and then it was over the Peak District. And it was like, I took oh, in yeah, all the sights cool. of Northern England. Um, just in a in a car, I think it was a Skoda Octavia, like the most mundane car you can imagine. Yeah, but it was just like, yeah, the amount of miles I clocked up overnight, empty roads, empty motorways, no smart motorway speed cameras, just cruising around the country. Yeah, yeah, probably mundane for most people because it's just a commute in theory. But no, it was it was it was pretty interesting the amount of miles we clocked nice. up. Nice, there is a joy of just getting in a car and this is this is a bit of a problem with evs but yeah just getting in a car filling up and just going and just yeah yeah and it doesn't have to be anything special either it can be any car it's sometimes the journey what makes it it's not not the vehicle you're in or or the destination always yeah it's the it's the journey what makes it um yeah, that that's probably it for me. It, it wouldn't have to be anything special. It's just a vehicle yeah. um, and just if, um, the open road. If you could only drive one car, one sports car, so you've got a slightly practical something else on the side, uh, for the rest of your life, what would you have? Uh, maybe a 360 Challenge Stradale. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. I think, I think, like you say, you've got something practical on the side, so you can be a bit impractical uh, with that. I think out of all the Ferraris, it's probably probably my favourite. It's probably most people's favourites when they really think about it. The new stuff, it's a bit too much. The older stuff's better. Yeah, yeah, it sounds yeah. amazing as well. Sound outrageous. That is a car I've not driven and, and want to have a go in it at some point for sure. Uh, what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment? What should be worth more? So I listened to one of your recent episodes and I was th- I've been thinking about this question for a while and Honda S2000s are ridiculously cheap at the minute mm-hmm. and they're an amazing car, very capable, very fast, very reliable. Uh, I've got a friend who's been tempted to buy another one so we we're doing a bit of research and the yeah. prices what some of those are going for at the minute are ridiculous. I think there's a few now. What is an S2000 worth these days? There's a few around there for sub £8,000. And they're only going to go back up, I believe, because Honda aren't really interested in replacing that vehicle. Um, so it's, yeah. it's, it's it's going to become a classic at some point. Um, and yeah, they, they're, they're pretty easy to live with. This Honda, they're pretty reliable. But yeah, they, they seem to be significantly cheaper than what I think they should be. Um, I'd imagine they'd be... 20 odd grand by now but they're not so yeah I, I think that's probably the one yeah we'll see that that's an, one i always look at and go oh, i think they're cool I, I like I, every time i see one i'm like mm, cool and you don't see them that often anymore no uh, that, that's it um and again the scarcity you think would have put the prices up but obviously not are, are that are they scarce i they i i slightly question that i feel like there's a lot of them out yeah in the world. a lot of the early ones get crashed though they're um they can yeah. be a bit of a a bit of a tricky one to drive um but yeah like i say you don't see them so maybe people have just took them away in the hope that they are going to be a, a future classic um i know a few people are doing that with like ep3s as well the early type r's um anyone who's got a clean one 
put it away. Yeah. Don't let people build it into a race car <laughs> because that <laughs> seems to be the path for most of them nowadays. What uh, What's the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you Googling? What are you looking up? I like the uh, the GT4 RS Cayman. The, uh, mm. I think Porsche cracked it with that. I think I think I read somewhere the one with a man, Manti racing kit just nearly beat the 918 round round the Nurburgring. Um, yeah, nice. It's like a second behind it or something. Ridiculously like underestimated car. Um, unobtainium for myself, but um, yeah, I think that, that that's probably the most interesting well, most car people out there. You, you well, just can't yeah. get one. Um, yeah. But yes, really cool. Yeah, really. Again, it's not the flagship product, so it's sort of it's got that subtlety to it. But yeah, it, yeah, they're, they're really good. I see significant amount of GT4s, various car meets, etc. Yeah, not so much the RSs. Again, due to people just not being able to get allocations for whatever reason. Yeah, the GT4 is good, but the RS just it's just that extra bit, and it? it just yeah. ticks them boxes. But yeah, I think it's, that's it's most the interesting. final sort of nail in the coffin of the this all the jokes around a Cayman or a Boxster not being a real you know 911 slash sports car you're like mm, yeah yeah, yeah. GT4 it, is a pretty serious I think that's kit. it isn't it they've got look the, the the base ingredients have always been there with the car we've just yeah. spiced it up a little bit and look how good it is which has probably bumped the price of most Caymans and Boxsters up as well because yeah they probably yeah it's br- brought up the perception isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's it. It's it's a real Porsche now. It's not just the one what people who can't afford a nine eleven buy. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think that is for me. My old my old boss has just had a nine nine two RS GT three RS delivered. Um. Yeah, he had to jump through some hoops for that. Um, <laughs> and uh, they rang him up and basically said, "Look, there's an allocation. Do you want it?" And it was sort of like, well, if I said no, it's game over, isn't it? You're not, you're not getting an allocation again. Um, so he, he he committed to it, and he's he's had it on track already. Uh, they invited him to a track day on it, and he says, nice. He's got a he's got an AMG GT3 race car, and he's like, it's it's okay. nearly the same. Like it's not it's not a million miles oh, away. Oh wow, yeah. But everybody expects that of that car, whereas the GT4, nobody really expects it. Well, they do now because obviously it's quite well publicised, but yeah it's it's yeah really interesting car for me that one yeah really cool right final question five car garage unlimited value so obviously gt4 rs that'd have to go in there mm. um i currently own a 1967 julia ti alfa romeo julia ti oh nice that'd be in there but on the condition, it spent some time at Alpha Holics and they've put the super R kit on it. So all the titanium bits. Oh, yeah. Big engine. Uh, it's, to be fair, it's a 1300 and it's got quite a spicy engine in it. Um, some Webbers and some fancy bits in mm. the head, two litre cams. It's about 100 horsepower, but it just screams because it's a 1300. <laughs> and, uh, it just revs and revs and revs. And it's 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 good fun to drive. It's skinny little tyres and roly poly yeah. suspension. But yeah, it's really really good to drive, and uh, and it's it's pretty pretty solid for a fifty odd year old car. Uh, nice. I'm hoping to do a video with it and putting the P1 fuel in it um, straight yeah. out of the race car, straight into that because again, turn the key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'll be in there. So that's that's two. Challenge Stradale, obviously that that'd have to be a yeah one in there. 
So that's three. I need something a bit practical. Um, probably an S class, a decent spec one. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the super saloon, isn't it? It's, it's the best of the it best. Is. It's tricky at the moment. I, cause I, I'm just waiting for the time when I buy an S class. Like it's, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm like, I can't, I want an S class. But someone pointed out recently and another podcast was discussing this. They're just used. They are used as like luxury taxis everywhere. Yep. For a yep. reason, but can't quite shake that image of like if you pull up in an S class, someone's like, hey, "Can I get?" Yeah, in? who's getting out the uh, back of it more than yeah. who's getting out of the front of it? That that's but it. As, yeah, I guess as long as it's not black. If you just yeah, just I think, don't I think go if black. you go if you if you're black with with tints, you, yeah, you, <laughs> taxi spec. Um, but I think if you went silver or any other color, maybe yeah, not yeah. white. White's probably a bit much on on a car that big. Um, yeah, it'd be that. And then I think the final card, I have to have something like super practical. So I daily drive a Discovery 4. It's probably Discovery 4, but with a more reliable engine, maybe. Or mm, I like the new Defenders, but there's horror stories about JLR products at the minute. Um, I've not heard that many about Defenders. I, I hear so much about JLR, but I've I've not heard that much about Defenders. I've I've driven the the one thirty. It they're definitely not as practical as they should be in terms of just silly things like the door. Yeah, the, the, the like one thirty is a significantly large car. Um, that is a big one. We had a poke around one recently because my partner wants a, a Discovery Four. Um, sorry, Discovery a Discovery Sport. Um, yeah. And while we were in the dealership, like that's a one thirty. So I had a look because I heard on a few <laughs> like podcasts that they're massive. And it was mainly because they were going to just fire him over to America and it needed to be substantial. Yeah. Uh, and the guy was having a look around me. He's like, oh, yeah, it's um, it's eight seats, but you can probably fit about 15 people in it. But then when you get inside it, the, the doors are like sort of really thick and the seats are like hunched together and the two benches are quite squashed. I'm like, mm, don't quite rate that for that. But yeah, I think I probably have one of them, actually. As long as they've got a good warranty on it. I think can't yeah, 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 yeah. They're very cool looking. I would have mine on like steelies, on like yeah, white the, steelies. The white steels. It, it's an odd one because when you look at the design of it and then you look at the design of the Discovery 4, that car should have been the Discovery, not the Defender. Yeah. And then the Discovery 5 was a bit, well, they've just rounded off all the edges and it's not really yeah. a Discovery anymore. So then that could have been whatever a new product. So yeah, I think the, the Defenders sort of carried on the, the Discovery mantra. Yeah. Um, but just with a bit more, bit more luxury, and and it's fallen into that trap as well of it's becoming a bit of a footballer's car and, and whatnot. But yeah, <laughs> I think there's still some practicalities of it. Cool. It does look like it's chunky enough to go off road. Yeah. Um. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Yeah. No, no problem. Thanks for having me.